right, well, as I get ready to introduce our speaker, if you've been around, you already know her well. If you're newer-ish, maybe not. So Reverend Dr. Brenda Saldam-Neal will be speaking today. Let me say two different things about not only who she is in general, but who she is to us as a faith body. I would use the terms a spiritual mother, say that with me, a spiritual mother, and a prophet. Let me tell you what kind of each one of those mean, at least for me. On the spiritual mother part, I mean, you can probably fill that in, but I mean, you know, right, a mother, a mother is almost part of the bringing into the world process, right, and, and has that nurturing, ongoing, developmental, uh, building, loving, and so... Uh, yeah, we started River City in 2003. By 2004, we were just about to go under. <laughs> uh, about every mistake that could be made, mostly on my end, had been made. And, uh, and then there were also some, just some really challenging things. So Dr. Brenda was in the Chicagoland area that was in Chicago at that time. She was a famous speaker, author. She also had her own consulting company called Salt McNeil & Associates. And so I reached out to that company begging for her help and discovered that we did not have the budget to be able to get somebody the uh, capacity of Dr. Brenda. So uh, she was kind enough to give us her lowest level consultants at the uh, cheapest price that you could get. And he came out and met with me once, and he said, yeah, this is way over my head. <laughs> I need to go talk to Dr. Brenda. And so I got this email. I'd never met her before, but she said, Daniel Hill, it sounds like we need to meet in person. It sounds like you got some stuff brewing over there. I said, yes, please. And so we met at the Starbucks on North Avenue, a little bit west of here, and uh, thus began a personal relationship that was very valuable and her deep commitment to our church. And she has been regularly part of the ebbs and flows, both from afar and up close, has spoken numerous important sermons to us as she has nurtured and cared for us along the years. So even if you've never met her or have only been here for a little while, um, I hope you feel the impact of somebody who's played this role of spiritual mother like this. Uh, the one that can be a little bit more of a funky word, depending on your tradition, is this prophetic idea. And that can mean a lot of things, and it does mean a lot of things to different people. But I want to share what that means for me with her in this place. Uh, one of the things that I would say is so such a unique gift of her, um, just in general, but where it plays out, Dr. Brenda is just so attuned to the Spirit of God. Uh, she's so attuned to the way that God is moving and uh, there's lots of different ways to do that, but for her, her ability to kind of step in real time to a moment and to have a sense of how God is working is, in my, from my perspective, unparalleled in the, the way the gifting works. So when I think of a prophetic voice specific to her, specific to us, here's kind of how I picture it. I picture it like God cares deeply about this community and there are things happening real time right now, like God is working in our community real time right now within the larger context of our neighborhood and all the kind of stakeholders and partners that we're with. So like God is moving, we're all doing our best to find our place within that, to be sensitive to that, to move with that, right? That's, that's what we want to do. But what she is able to do that's so unique to me is like kind of step into the real time moment of what God is doing and seeing and saying, and then she's just able to be attentive to the voice of God in that. And she's just able to see things that consistently elude me and uh, uh, go beyond things we have seen. And um, that's what I mean in this case by prophetic voice, that when she comes, she doesn't ever give just some kind of normal sermon or normal talk that she gives. She, she spends all of her emotional and spiritual energy trying to listen and see. So she has walked that lot. She's talked with us. Um, um, she's been praying for it. And so when she steps in, it'll be a good word, but it will come from a place of doing her very best to see what God is doing in this moment in our community. And um, normally I would say that puts a lot of pressure on somebody, but that's just who she is. She does that anyway. And so I really value that. I value so deeply hearing the voice of God. I value that my own life. I value that for our community. And so I'm anxious. I'm excited. I have no idea what she's going to say right now. Um, that would be probably the only preacher in the world that I would be fine to say, you say whatever you're going to say because I don't really know what you're about to preach on right now. But I do know this. It will be her doing her best to say, here's where I see God moving in your midst right now. So we give a super warm welcome to Reverend Dr. Brenda Saltzman-Neal. Hey, everybody. I'm so glad to be with you. What y'all doing at the church? <laughs> I'm seeing friends, and I'm so happy to see you all. <laughs> Let me just say, I love you with the love of the Lord. I seriously mean that. Just listening to Daniel uh, introduce me and what he said, no brag. It's just, you know, you, you can't say, I'm, you know, I, I'm 
I'm taller than my, my sister. It's just the way God made me, you know what I mean? And so I don't take any credit for it, but that's why I come here. I believe in you all more than I can say. And so as I listen to him say, I'm trying to pay attention, I'm trying to listen to God on your behalf, that is true. So in a moment, I'm going to jump into the word of God, and uh, I want you to hear it as not a big shot. I don't feel that way. I don't come to entertain you or to impress you or hope you like me. I love him. I literally love him, and I love what God has birthed over the 20 years, right? And so y'all can look happier. I do not. I'm an extrovert, so mean faces don't help me out. (laughs) Oh, I'm about to shift. Yes, I need nice people in the church. Yes, I need Christians. I need people who look Christianly. Amen, amen. You can smile. You can be nice. You can say amen. You can look like you like me. I like you. But I'll get better if you get better, all right? And I mean that. So I'm on mission here. I came because I believe God has married me to your congregation. And I want to see you become all God has called you to be. And that's for real. So let me just say thank God for my friends who love me. Teresa and her family's here. Lord have mercy. New Faith Baptist Church is where I used to be all the time. And now Reverend Elise and the Emmaus community that send representatives from the south suburbs. I'm so glad to see you. And so for everyone, just know that I truly love you. Where is Aaron? Did Aaron leave the room yet with his singing self? I was, I've known him before he was married. I knew him when he was a college student. And to see him thriving here and singing songs that he can make up with 10 people's names in it, I'm just like, <laughs> he couldn't play the piano when I knew him. And so I'm like, what in the world? I was upstairs and I listened to his worship. He means it. And back to who we are together. You see, he can take it and try to make something happen, but ultimately we all have to become worshipers. He can't pep talk us up, but, but he's trying his best to, to create an atmosphere where transformative things happen. And that's not about him being good at what he does. It's about him opening the door for us to walk into the presence of God and experience the power of God. That's what's supposed to happen. So you are good at what you do. I felt you all the way upstairs. And I thought, is that Aaron? And I'm here to tell you the anointing of God rests on you, Aaron, and you're giving it everything you've got. But you all... I want to say to you, every word I'm going to say to you comes from the bottom of my heart. I'm going to pray in a second. But you're at a turning point as a church. All right, now somebody say amen. Anybody who believes that, say amen. Don't do it to entertain me because that's not good. Um, If you hear something that's true, that's when you co-sign it. That's when you say, that's true, amen. Does that make sense? It's not just for like call and response. It's really the people of God kind of acknowledging that was the word of God. I believe that. Does that make sense? So you have as much to do with us co-creating in this space what God wants to do. I'm going to give you everything I've got, but I'm not some guru who knows everything. It's together the people of God that kind of say, that's God. And so I'm hoping that you'll hear your 20th year is marking an, an opportunity for a choice now. And I'm here to talk to you about the choice that you're being offered. And I'm hoping that you'll hear it and decide if you really want to be what God has called you to be. And that's going to be a pretty big decision. And so, Lord God, I thank you so much for the power of your word. I thank you so much for the power of your presence. I thank you so much for how you have shifted and changed and how you've sustained. Lord God, 20 years is nothing to take for granted. You have been a faithful God and a good God. And we bless you for having been faithful consistent, providing, sustainer. Lord God, we bless you. And now, we, God, we ask you for this turning point, this shift, this opportunity to step into a new season. 
I pray, Lord God, that you will anoint, that you will guide, that you will provide, and that your people will follow, knowing that you do all things, Lord God, for the good, always for our benefit, always to prosper us and not to harm us, to give us a future with hope. I pray that over River City in the name of Jesus and all God's people said together, amen. Um, Elder Keith, Elder um, Maria, I want to thank you all for how much you look out for me when I come. Thank you so much for your leadership in this church. You matter. Benjamin, you know how I feel already. I'm so grateful that you're here, and I'm so grateful to see what God is doing in your life here. And so you all, as I um, come to you now with what I've been praying about, sensing for some time, I hope that you'll hear these two scriptures, Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, and then I'm going to read from Jeremiah chapter 29. This is what God's word says, and I'm reading from the Common English Bible version. A legal expert stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to gain eternal life? Jesus replied, what is written in the law? How do you interpret it? He responded, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But the legal expert wanted to prove that he was right. So he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He encountered thieves who stripped him naked, beat him up, and left him near dead. Now it was just so that it happened that a priest was also going down the same road. When he saw the injured man, he crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his way. Likewise, a Levite came by that spot, saw the injured man, and crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his way. A Samaritan who was on a journey came to where the man was, but when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. The Samaritan went to him and bandaged his wounds, tending them with oil and wine. Then he placed the wounded man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took two full days' worth of wages and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and when I return, I will pay back for any additional cost. What do you think? Which one of these three was a neighbor to the man who encountered thieves? Then the legal expert said, the one who demonstrated mercy toward him. Jesus told him, go do likewise. Jeremiah chapter 29 verses 7 and 11 says this, promote the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because your future depends on its welfare. I know the plans I have for you, says God. They are plans for peace, not disaster. To give you a future filled with hope. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. One of the greatest gifts in my life are my friends. So yes, I'm here because it's been my birthday and I've seen my friends and I literally don't want anything because the older I get, I know how important it is to have real friends, true friends. It matters more than anything that anyone could give me. So I'm grateful for friendship. It matters to me to have friends and I want you to know that I come as a friend of River City Church. One of my friends, her name is Sandra Hardy, Dr. Sandra Hardy. We went to seminary together and we have been friends ever since. 
We were there when we, all, we had children who are now grown-up children and young adults on their own and all that kind of stuff. So I've known my girlfriend, Sandra, for a really long time. Now, I don't know about you, but I have some truth-telling friends, and Sandra is one of them. Amen. So we were talking, and I said something that I have said a lot. Marche, <laughs> another one of my children is in the house, y'all, and I hadn't seen her. Mwah. Anyway, I'm talking to Sandra, and I'm telling her uh, about how people have said that I should pastor a church. And for a very long time, amen, decades, I have made it clear to anybody who knows me, I don't want to pastor a church. Amen. Back in the day, people used to get upset with women preachers because they thought if you were a good preacher, you wanted to become a pastor. And people who didn't believe that women should pastor a church would give people like me a hard time. And I was like, you don't got to do all that. <laughs> I don't want the job. Amen. I don't want, I'll preach, but I'm, nobody's trying to be the pastor. And no one has ever questioned me about saying that until Sandra. Amen. Sandra said, Bren, what do you mean by church? Is church a noun or a verb? <laughs> she said, is church the place we go to? Is it the box we go into? She said, is that the church? Or is it who we are? Are we the church? The ecclesia, that's the word for church in Greek. And it means the called out ones. Has nothing to do with where we gather. That's just a convening spot. But the church is us. Oh, I was like, oh, oh, this one is, <laughs> this is watch out for your friends. Now, real friends will give, will give you existential moments of deep self-reflection. And I realized that when I close my eyes and visualize the church, I see the pulpit, I see the steeple, I see the pews or the chairs, and, and I see the altar, and I don't want to do that. But her question made me take a real big step back. What are you talking about when you keep talking about the church? The church is not a noun. It's not some concrete place. The church is alive and vibrant. It is the called out ones. And I think that because we've used the word go to church, go to church so much that many of us have come to believe that the church is where we gather. Au contraire. Here in our text, there's a debate going on about what does it mean to be God's people. This scholar is trying to take Jesus on because he's gained a reputation as an insightful master teacher. And if you are smarty pants, you want to kind of go wits with who's supposed to be smartest. And so he comes up with this deep kind of uh, scholarly test on how he's going to uh, inherit eternal life to see what this master teacher is going to say that is anything greater than anything he already knows. So he goes up to Jesus, he asks the question, what must I do to eternal life? And Jesus doesn't take the bait. He doesn't take the bait, but instead asks him to summarize for himself, smarty, what do you understand the scripture to be? And I'm talking to smart people in here. I can feel it. Amen. And sometimes Jesus wants to answer a question with a question. Feel like preaching all of a sudden. The young scholar who is taught by a Torah expert quickly responds by quoting the great commandment, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. What? Jesus affirms his interpretation. He says, yeah, that's correct. And then basically says, now go and do that. 
That is indeed the key to true life. Go do that. And when the legalistic scholar asks now the infamous question, because he's like, oh, so you're trying to ask me stuff and now telling me stuff. And so he says, I'm not done yet, Jesus. This has not been an intellectual joust enough for me. So who is my neighbor? Now, he should have quit. Amen. <laughs> that would have been a good place just to call it a day, you know. But he keeps going, and so Jesus, amen, decides that he's going to help this young man uh, work on some things. Amen. Uh, maybe he was hoping that he was going to force Jesus into some deep debate and category where Jesus could get caught in this def definition of who's in and who's out, who's my neighbor and who's not. But Jesus answers by telling this guy a story. And the story is about a man who was robbed and beaten within an inch of his life. Can you shift? Can you sense the shift? Something is changing here. Jesus takes the story to a whole nother level. We're talking about neighbors and now he's talking about somebody being abused within an inch of their lives. He says that this Jew, this man was walking and got beat up. He's a Jewish man, but uh, he's, he's going on a road that is a securitist that avoids going into or near Samaria because Jews would not be caught dead in Samaria. So there's this curvaceous road that is quite dangerous when you travel on it because you can't see who's coming around the mountain. And so thieves and thugs and robbers would hang out in this place and ambush people. And so no one would have been surprised that this horrible thing happened on that road. And so Jesus begins to build the, at the environment for what has happened here. And so maybe when Jesus tells this story, uh, he is calling us to look at the places where we feel safe, the places where we think we belong, and the places that we think we should not belong. So he's putting a man who should not belong on this road, on a road, and, another pe and other people coming who are now going to encounter his predicament. And so, the first person who comes is a religious person. The first person who comes is a Levite, a priest, someone who knows God, has given their lives to God, their, their work and their livelihood and their call in life is to serve in the presence of God. But these people, both of them cross the street, the Levite and the priest, the Bible says that they move and they don't they see him they're aware of what's happening but they don't want to get close to him in fact they want to avoid him so much that they cross the street and go to the other side so they don't have to get near him as he's going and for the most part i i have thought about this in a very negative way maybe they feared falling into the same condition as the victim maybe they thought that if they stopped to help uh it would be useless because he already looked like he was dead maybe they had all kinds of things going in their mind, religious reasons of why they could not touch somebody bleeding, therefore being defiled. I don't know. But I'm beginning not to put them in such a negative light where I just kind of thought you just didn't care and so you crossed over. And that's important for us to pause with for a second because if we can villainize the religious folks and say they just weren't good enough, then we're not like them. Those are the bad religious folks and we're the good religious folks because we wouldn't have done that, right? Y'all with me? So it's important for us to humanize them and say, we don't know. They could have had some very real reasons why in that moment, making a calculated decision quickly, maybe they had to come up with, well, how do you respond? What do you do? I don't know. So they cross the street and they keep on going. But in contrast to these holy religious people, well-regarded people who passed the man, now Jesus brings in a very unlikely person, a Samaritan businessman, saves this guy's life and is even willing to pay all the cost for his medical care. Now y'all are in a financial building campaign and you would have want the Samaritan in your church. <laughs> my boy is generous somebody said generous amen he doesn't know this guy this guy is on a road that's trying to avoid going into his neighborhood so if I had seen somebody who was 
purposefully trying to avoid people like me, I might not be so compassionate. You might say, that's what you get. But the Bible flips that thing on its head and basically says the most unlikely person to care for him is the person who gives generously to this guy. So much so that he takes care of all of his medical bills and care. No one would have expected that Samaritan to stop. And so if that's true, what compelled him? What made him do it? I'm glad you asked me. I believe, I think that the man in the ditch reminds me that it feels a certain way to be forgotten by folks and maybe to feel forgotten by God. It reminds me that when you see the folks who are supposed to represent God pass you by, something about that suggests if God's people don't like me, if God's people won't help me, Maybe I'm not worthy of being helped. I have been with many a college student around uh, the controversy of the LGBTQ plus inclusion, and I have had one and more students come into my office and say, Dr. B, does God really love me? And I feel that. Does God really love me, Dr. B? Because when the people of God shun me, it makes me think that maybe God shuns me. I have held many a young person in my office, and I have said to them, I believe that everybody is made in the image of God, no exceptions. That matters. So maybe this Samaritan came to believe that maybe God didn't care. That feeling of loneliness and forsakenness when somebody is just, I don't know, it invites compassion, I think. And compassion is not just some warm and fuzzy feeling. That's why I brought up those students. I don't even have to know them. That's how I fell in love with I know what it feels like to be at your wit's end. Anybody know what it feels like not to know, to feel like you can't figure it out? Anybody have anybody? Nobody over here ever felt like that, huh? Yeah, no, thank you, thank you, thank you. I have, thank you. And when you start to feel like that and somebody sees it and comes alongside you, who knows that the medical diagnosis was horrible and you don't know how to address it, that the financial pressure is beyond anything you could access, and somebody sees the pain and the doubt and as opposed to avoiding you comes close to you, I have been sitting with a lot. What makes people do that? How does people stop being like, I don't care, to my God? The Bible says it's called compassion. Everybody say compassion. Say it again. Compassion. Compassion. I used to think that compassion was sort of like, mm. But you know what? In Greek, the word for compassion means gut-wrenching. Almost like your spleen is being ripped out. It causes you to double over. Compassion is a word that is almost literally means the twisting of the intestines. That's what it means. So when you have compassion for somebody, it's not like, oh, it's almost like, oh, my God. It doubles you over and you can't help but care. That's how compassion feels. It's not bunnies and ooh, it's almost like my God. I don't know if you've seen things on the news and you can't watch it much longer because everything in you feels like it's breaking. You hear another tragedy and you can't take it anymore. You see another thing and you just feel like, oh God. That's what compassion feels like and that's what that Samaritan felt. That Samaritan was moved compassion but the shock of the story may not be the unlikely hero that's I'm trying to get over there for us you see maybe the real shock is how close this story hits home for us and how frequently we are the ones who pass by on the other side I like to read Christian stories Bible stories and I'm on the good side I like that <laughs> but the truth is we're 
that scholar and we're the Levite and the priest. Jesus saying there's a person over here and then there are people over here who are the people of God and these two people had two different reactions to the same situation. Hmm. <laughs> and I thought, oh, so we have an unlikely hero. Maybe before we make the priest and the Levite out to be villains, we might see them as common human beings just like us. And how many of us have not gone through the same ethical or moral debate inside ourselves about whether or not to help when passing a person in need or whether a homeless person with a cardboard sign or a car with a flat tire, I know that I I have passed by. Do I have a witness? I'm trying to figure out, do I, do I stop? Do I not stop? Is this healthy? Is it safe? Maybe I shouldn't, right? So isn't that a wonderful feeling now to make this Bible verse just normal, human? It's what we do. We've been taught to be calculating about what's safe around us. I grew up in a neighborhood where my mom and, you know, we were taught you need to know who's around you and who's close to you. Have some spatial awareness about who's coming behind you so I can be walking my dog and I know who's behind me before I even turn around. I got a good sense of that because growing up where I grew up suggested that your safety depends on understanding and knowing your surroundings. And if you've been so Socialized like that, when you see what appears to be a bad situation, every instinct in our body tells us to run, run, go the opposite direction. I see the Levite and the priest now in a much more human way. So maybe the story of the Good Samaritan is also the story of us. Maybe we are surrounded by people who are unhoused. Maybe we're surrounded by people who are drug addicted. Maybe we're surrounded by kids who don't have an after school thing to do. Maybe we're surrounded by folks who are immigrants and everybody is saying, we can't take anymore. You gotta go. I don't know what's around us. I can tell you in Seattle, Washington, where I now live, we have an uh, an, uh, unhoused encampment within the complete total circumference of our building. We got to step over folk, go around folk, can't park in the parking lot because we got a whole new neighborhood. And it freaks me out. And I have to constantly, I, I mean constantly pray and ask God to show me what compassion requires. How do I live in a situation where this scares me? All of my hood training tells me back up, back up, back up. <laughs> And I have got to figure some things out. What are you struggling with in this neighborhood? What are the Levite, priest, Samaritan choices you are facing on a regular basis? I pass by people. Do I give? Do I not give? I mean, if you're anything like me, we are constantly, consciously or unconsciously, weighing the options of what we should or should not do. Does that make sense, River City? This is the world that we have inherited. And this is the world in which you have become 20 years old. You're not five years old, you're not seven years old, you're not 10. You are out of middle school, you are out of high school. You are just about to graduate college and God is asking something of you that God did not ask of you five years ago or 10 years ago. There's a shift in the atmosphere and you are being asked now at this stage of your development to make grown-up decisions. And we're going to have to decide, do we cross the street or are we compelled by compassion? Maybe we are more like that well-educated scholar than we think. Because he knows a lot about God, but he has difficulty putting it into practice. Now, know that I don't preach stuff that I haven't already had to grapple with myself. Because I'm a professor. I like thinking about stuff. Amen. And I realize, yes. You can know a lot about God, but that doesn't mean that you do a lot about God. And that's why after he said the right answer, Jesus said to him, go and do, do 
likewise. You were excellent. I'm going to meet with you after church. Everybody else, you don't say nothing. Everybody else, Jesus said, go and do likewise. And I'm here to tell you that word do, if I had a one word sermon for you, it would be do. Hallelujah. It is time to move out of thinking and it is time to move into doing. Maybe like the scholar given the complexity of all that's going on around us, we are also asking Jesus, we want to do it, but who is my neighbor? In response to that young scholar and to us, Jesus switches the question. And he moves the question from who is my neighbor to are you a neighbor? Jesus is deep. Jesus is deep. Jesus says, oh, see, you're asking the wrong question. I'll never forget another friend who said to me, you know what? I was in grad school and I was upset about something. I mean, showing up upset. So much so that this brother coming across the quad at Fuller Theological Seminary could see the angst on my face. When he got up to me, his name is Roland. I haven't seen him since we graduated. Well, but I'll never forget what he said. He got up to me and he said, yo, bro, what's going on? What's the matter? Because you know how something will worry you so much that it's on your face? And I told him whatever it was, and these many years later, I don't even remember what it was, but I'm really not forgetting. The wrong question will always lead to the wrong answer. To the wrong answer. He said it's man, 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 he Jesus is doing it, Jesus is doing exactly that. He's merciful, he's merciful, he's situation I would hope somebody would stop and help me out that's what compassion feels like it's that feeling that says if that was my daughter if that was my son if that was my husband if that was my friend I hope that somebody would care enough to come and do something that's how we know who's being a neighbor it's the people who show care. I can't understand person's stories if I don't get close enough to hear their stories. And so now the unhoused neighbors around me, I'm learning that at least what I can do is humanize the situation and begin to at least understand some people's situations are not what I thought them to be. I met a guy and he was talking to me about how he used to be a college professor too. And he told me that the one thing he holds on to is a, a book. And it's a book that he's had for so long, but he loves it. And he loves the love of reading and loves the access to the library. I don't usually put unhoused in professor who loves going into the library. Do you see how that messes with the narrative? And that makes me see him and feel about him in a whole different way. Now that I'm reading the parable of the Good Samaritan with new eyes, I can see that it's really a call to be transformed for us. And this is where I'm trying to get to for you, River City. As we live deeper into discipleship, I believe that God changes us by learning to love our neighbor. The more we engage and feel compassion, something in us is transformed. Something in me becomes more generous. Something in me sees the world different. Something in me sees God differently. Something in me sees myself differently. Something's changing in me, and it's happening through the process of being engaged, loving you and being loved by you, coming back 
back home talking to people that I wouldn't normally talk to. Yesterday I saw a guy and he was standing outside where I was and he was waiting for some people to give him a couple of dollars and I said, hey man, what's your name? Steve. Hey Steve, I'm Brenda. My brother's name is Steve. Moments of human connection. He smiled and he said, hey Brenda, take care. All I know is this River City, there are some things that we can't do or be by just thinking about them. They must be learned by actually doing them. So Jesus says, go and do likewise. If we want to be the church, River City Church, and this is what I believe about you all. If you call River City home and you join this church because the vision of reconciliation and the vision of being a river of life in a city, if that's why you join this church, if that's the purpose of who you want to be, we're not going to become that by thinking about it or agreeing with the vision. We're going to have to begin to do it. That's how you become River City Church. It's a stagnant uh, body of water if it doesn't start moving. Do you hear me? You must begin to move. You must begin to move. You literally must begin to take steps that are going to scare you, make your knees knock, your teeth chatter. But the way the river is going to flow and become a healing river in the city is that the people who are the river have got to begin to move. This is true. It cannot be... Uh, Aaron pumping us up to worship because he's moving. It cannot be Daniel Hill inspiring us to give because he's moving, but we have got to be the people who move. If this vision of what can happen outside is what we really believe would bring healing to this neighborhood, that's what the river is supposed to be about. I believe your name. I believe God gave you this name. And in the New Testament, in Revelations, it says that there's a river that's going to flow through the city of God. And on either side of the river, there are trees. And the leaves on the trees are for the healing of the nations. I believe that. So if you're thinking puny, if you think it's just you coming to sit on a chair, my friend Sandra wants to ask you, what do you mean by church? Is it a noun where you show up and sit down? Or is it a river that flows and you are supposed to be a part of it? You have got to start moving. And yes, you're scared. So was the Levite and the priest. But do it anyway. Try something. Take a step. Talk to somebody. Get outside. Because if it starts in this community, I promise it will not end here. It will be for the healing of the nations. And I am not kidding. You have no idea what God wants to do through you guys. And I think that's why you're so casual. I do not think you understand the implications of who God has called you to be. That's why I read Jeremiah chapter 29. For I know the plans I have for you, says God. Plans for good and not for evil to give you a future with hope. That's why God says, seek the peace and the prosperity of the place that I've sent you, this neighborhood. Do it. Because if it prospers, you prosper. Your destiny, your identity, your future, your calling is connected to what you do starting right here. And then the river will flow out to other places. Do you believe that? I believe that. And I can, well, don't say that. Okay, Lord, I won't do that. Because I was going to say, I don't come to preach just to preach. And I won't keep preaching if people don't do it. Because my job prophetically is to call people to something. And so people who say to me, we just love her because she gets says, that's not why I do this. Every drop of sweat on my face is because I believe God. And I want to see God be made visible in this world. And God does that through us. We are common ground. 
And because I believe in it so much, I want to say a couple things and then I'm going to close. One is, I believe in it so much that when Daniel said he wanted to give me an honorarium, I don't want the honorarium. I want to give it back to this vision where people in the neighborhood would know that you're not the people who live in the box. You're the people who create outside of the box. You become who the church is supposed to be. And they see it not locked behind doors, but outdoors where they co-create with you and us what it means to be alive again, for children to pray, play, for creatives to find their way. I want you to take my honorarium and put it in with everybody else's because I want to be a part of what I believe God is doing. Because if I say I believe in River City Church, then I've got to do something to demonstrate that I believe in River City Church. So giving is not about just money. It's about declaration of who I am and why I'm here. I'm here because I believe in anything I can do from preaching to giving to demonstrate I'm with you. That is why I give. That is why I preach. That is why I try to prophesy. Because I want to see what God is going to do. And I believe it's going to be for the healing of the nations. And I believe it's going to start in this community. And so let me say this as I close. Sometimes I think we've gotten to the place, I'm so glad you came, that words are too much for us. We hear words everywhere all the time. And it's almost like we can get weary of words. I do. And so I've been listening more to poetry I've been paying attention to music. I've been understanding that the arts opens up something that yelling and preaching and reading books don't always do. And so I've found this young man who I've known since he was a college student. We call him Smiley. Um, And he said, Dr. B, I wrote a book of poems. And some of the poems um, I wrote, I heard when you were preaching. And God gave me a poem out of what I heard you preach. And so I told him that I would endorse his book because I said, Smiley, we're living in a time when we desperately need artists, writers, poets, musicians, actors, photographers, dancers, and other creatives who inspire and encourage us to reimagine church, to think about church differently. I believe that we are in the process and events are happening where we need imagination again. We need some, something that evokes the imagination that pushes us toward action. And so I said to him, you have a unique ability, Smiley, to listen to preachers and you interpret their sermons. And he heard me preaching about reconciliation and he wrote a poem called, We Are Common Ground. Now, I didn't know I was going to use this poem, but the last time I was home, Pastor Daniel and I went out into the courtyard, and I asked him, just walk me around a little bit. And so I'm walking around, and I'm looking at the ground. I'm looking at, you know, the good work, the flowers were on the side, and where the basketball court would be and where the stage would be, and just walking and thinking. And all of a sudden, I sensed that I was supposed to kiss the ground. Now, I've only kissed the ground once in my life. It was my very first trip to Africa. I went to Kenya. And when I came through the customs, the man who took my passport looked at it and saw that it was my very first time there. And he looked at me and he said, is this your first time in Africa? And I said, yes. And he said, welcome home, Dada. Dada, me sister. I walked outside of customs and I walked into the sunlight of Kenya and without even thinking about it, I kissed the ground because I was home. Powerful. The only other time I've ever in my life had the urge to kiss the ground and I kept thinking, what, do what, do what, was when we were out there in that courtyard. I don't know why. And I tried not to. I walked around. I kind of tried to. 
Sort of obey God. <laughs> but at some point, I realized that Jesus was serious when he said, go and do. So I got down on my knees and Daniel stood by me and I kissed the ground out there. This is holy ground. We're standing on holy ground. For the Lord is present and where he is is holy. You're on holy ground. We're standing on holy ground. For the Lord is present and where God is is holy. So this poem that Smiley wrote is called We Are Common Ground. And I want you to know that if you all build it, they will come and something holy is going to happen as a result. Lives will be changed and transformed. Years later, you'll be talking about the kids who played out there who are now doing this and that and this. And you will say, that's what I invested in. I invested in the place that produced people like that. So here is this closing poem. We are common ground. We are love. We are fellowship. We are community. We are discipleship. Where diversity reflects the beauty of the King of Kings, in his image we rest our being. The image through suffering victory is found. At the foot of the cross is where we find common ground to plant an intentional, diverse community honoring this place so beautiful. See? Creating the movement, making a cycle of disciples. We are love more than speech. We are where we are, transferring a little knowledge systematically, strategically combating the systemic injustice pipeline through talks, mentoring, transforming a little knowledge systematically. Our kids, our elementary kids are growing. Education is a top priority holistically. We see the restoration of our families through community outreach, including after-school enrichment training for GED, shaping the minds of all who enter our family life sister center or our church, creating an atmosphere of love and truth for our youth to experience the prince of peace. We are fellowship, no membership cards, the church, ecclesia, we are partners, family. This is us. Following the words of Jesus sent from heaven, go and do. Luke 10, 37. Biblical foundation every Sunday, making war in the heavenlies every single day. Praise and worship under God's authority. Multiple small groups throughout the week builds relational intimacy. This is who we are, community, intentionally seeking unity out west in the capital city. The youngest son of Jack is now found, prodigal, open our arms to Jacktown, where the abandoned homes and potholes reflect the souls of those who have no hope. Declaration of those trapped in mental captivity, freedom. The year of Jubilee. Through Jubilee Jackson, we bring unity to churches, government, and nonprofit entities, shining light to the marginalized, our brothers and sisters in need. Through Jubilee, Jesus invites them to eat at his feast, taste and see. West is best. Come grab a plate, experience the showcase of creativity culinary arts, music and art, entrepreneurs and business has begun. At the annual
annual food festival full of fun. We, as we host the taste of West Jackson, this is how we shine. Enjoy our home. Enjoy the sip. We are discipleship. Partnering on the campuses and universities with InterVarsity, moving beyond churchanity to help develop leaders who find true intimacy. A student-led movement learning to embrace our identity, no colorblind, but loving our cultural diversity. And thus we develop leaders, no compromise through common ground enterprises, providing jobs where life is. Common ground cuts barbershop and beauty, lawn care shining all over the community, catering to the culinary eats, solutions for single mothers to be financially free. This is we, the church, a missional mentality. Ecclesia, the called out ones on the west side of town, we are common may it be so i pray in the name of jesus so god let your anointing fall on this church motivate and mobilize your church to be church that people might find life and that more abundantly and in so doing we ourselves are transformed and we come to experience what it is lord god to have life ourselves beyond anything we could ask think or imagine once again i declare god you promise that you know the plans you have for this place plans for good and not for evil you want to prosper this place with a future and hope and i declare lord god that your word is true and i pray that we will therefore go and do in the name of jesus and all god's people said together amen, amen and amen gets old for me. The Lord is attentive. Yes. Attentive to your prayers, beloved. He's attentive to your cry, beloved. He's attentive and receive as a fragrant aroma your praise and your worship. Amen? Amen. 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 We've had a long day so far. Our wonderful speaker, Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil. I know Pastor Daniel has already shared about her, but the first time I heard her preach was at River City, and her sermon was, what time is it? What time is it? Beloved, we are at a time in our history that we are asking, what time is it for us? What time is this? Only you can answer it as Dr. Salter McNeil laid it out for us this morning. Are we a neighbor? Are we ready? Are we ready? Not to start the work, but to continue. Amen? To continue. To journey on. To not be weary in well-doing. Amen? Don't get quiet on me, River City. You know who I am. And it is with that intention that I leave you. Uh, somebody grab me a flute. Not that type of flute, Caitlin. I'm supposed to get up and just do a benediction, but you all knew I always. Um, it's not alcoholic. We can't have alcohol. On your way out today. Our dear sister Jennifer wanted us to celebrate collectively again our anniversary. So today, I'm excited, y'all. I ain't even go pretend.
Hallelujah. Every leader, those present, those that have come before us, and even those that would be after us. I salute you all. I salute you, the members and the regular tenders of River City. I salute you. I honor you, my brothers, my sisters, my community. I honor you in the presence of God for being faithful to this community and continuing to be faithful to this community. So I lift this toast to each of you, congratulating you, because it's your anniversary too. As someone has said, whether you've been here for the two, four, 20 years, or whether it's just two days, you all invited in on the party. We celebrate and I salute you. River City, God bless us. God bless you. Happy anniversary. Shout it unto the Lord. Amen. Feels like heaven on earth. Feels like heaven. On the way out, Jen has created an atmosphere. Grab a flute, grab a little nosh, and hug on somebody's neck and tell them happy anniversary that we love you. Go with God, my people. God bless. Something's moving.